welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Well, we're in a study of Proverbs. We're studying wisdom literature. We're studying the wisdom of God in the book of Proverbs. And we're going to look tonight at something that is a recurring theme in Proverbs. That's the family. Raise your hand if you have a family. Oh, that's more than I thought. Okay. We're looking at the family tonight. And because we live in the 21st century, I'm going to spend the first bit of that looking at what the family is according to God and then how it's to function. And then we'll get into our verse in Proverbs. That's Proverbs 10.1 if you want to open there. So first, what is the family? What is a family? And it is kind of interesting that we have to define this, but again, we live in the 21st century, so here's how I would define this. And this isn't like verbatim from Scripture, but it's drawn from Genesis 1 through 2. You can go read them yourselves in Deuteronomy 6 and other places in Scripture that God describes to us. He doesn't say, this is a family, boom. But he describes to us what a family is to look like. Here's my definition. I believe God's definition closely. A group composed of one man and one woman, united in marriage, generally raising up children, or generally with the intent of raising up children in the counsel and the fear of the Lord. That would be in a perfect world what the family is to look like. And I understand, as we approach this topic, I understand that some of you come from broken families. And I want you to know that I sympathize with you. Both of my parents come from absolutely broken families, just destroyed. And it's by the grace of God that my family is what it is. And so I, I sympathize with you, but the Bible still has this to say, and so I still have to say it. But know that you have my sympathy, and also know that if you put your faith in Jesus, you can have a heavenly father, and you can have a heavenly family, composed of all of us here, if we love you. So, this is for everyone. And if anyone, that definition that I gave you, a, a group composed of one man and one woman united in marriage generally with the intent of raising up children in the counsel and fear of the Lord. Every part of that is important and integral to that definition. We can't lose any part of it. And if anyone tells you anything differently than that, or if you've watched Blue's Clues in the last month, then you can spit on that definition, turn your back and read God's word and what he has to say about the family. That's what the family is according to God. So how does the family work? Well, there's two parts to this, parents to children and children to parents. What do parents do? Parents discipline and disciple their children. Parents are to be the primary source of discipline and discipleship for their children. But but aren't parents to love their children? Yes. Yes, of course they are. But it must be, it has to be a disciplining love and a discipling love, or it isn't love at all. And I'll show you how God's word says that. You've heard the saying, spare the rod, spoil the child. The Bible That comes from a verse in the Bible that says, whoever spares the rod, that means whoever doesn't punish his child hates his son or daughter. 
Whoever doesn't punish or discipline, whoever doesn't discipline his child actually hates his child. But he who loves his child is diligent to discipline him. Those are strong words. See, the world says, if your child misbehaves, then give him an Xbox controller and a plant-based chicken nugget. God's word says, if you do not discipline your children, you hate them. If your parents are not disciplining you, they hate you. And someday, if your parents, Lord willing, if you do not discipline your children, you hate them. You're not doing anyone a favor, especially that child. So that's the discipline part. Parents are to discipline. But I don't mean, I don't mean to make it sound like parents are just to be mean and rough. Discipline comes out of love. It is out of a parent's heart of love that they discipline their children. But the second half of that, parents are to discipline and disciple in love. Parents are to disciple. Deuteronomy 6 tells us that parents are to be the the primary teachers of God's word to their children. That's the job of the parent. They're to teach what God has said in his word. They're to teach the works of God and the counsel of God. And they're to teach their children to fear the Lord. And just just like a parent is expected to set food before their child every day, they're even more so expected, according to God's word, to set the word of God, the counsel of God, and the fear of the Lord between, before their children every single day. Parents should daily be discipling their children. So that's what parents owe to their children, discipleship and discipline in love. But what do children owe to their parents? There's more children in this room than parents. There are more of us who are under our parents. So let's look at the children. Children, this is actually simpler. It's obey your parents. And I know you've heard that one before. And your parents are not paying me to say this. This is what God's word says. And I respect God's word. And probably if your parents have told you to obey them, then they might respect God's word. And you are to respect God's word. So we obey our parents. And I'm, a ch- I'm in a sense a child. I honor my father and my mother, or at least I'm called to that, although I fail. In fact, if there was any need to prove original sin that we don't need to teach children how to, how to slap or steal something or lie, or be a jerk, I, my toddler to childhood life would be enough evidence for you of original sin. I could tell you hundreds of stories of how I was just a little brat. <laughs> Seriously. If you want some, you can come ask me later. So, we're told to obey our parents. Well, why is this? If we look at the Bible, for a number of reasons. There's a number of reasons in Scripture, all of which we'll get into, but for our purposes now, it's because defiance against our parents is really defiance against God. To defy and to disrespect and to dishonor our parents' authority is to defy, disrespect, and dishonor God's authority in our life. And so, when we disobey our parents, it's not just setting ourselves against our parents and like, hope I don't get spanked. It's setting ourselves against God. And that's a dangerous place to be in, to set yourself against a holy and powerful and just God. And so, as we look at the text today that we'll come to in a moment, As we look at our text today, I just, I want one thing from all of you. I hope that you will consider whether you are standing in a right position before God. We'll look at God's law somewhat. We'll look to see what God says, what he commands. And just you look and see if you are in a right position before God. That's my, that's my plea to you. I prayed that this morning. I pray that now that you would consider, consider, put everything else away from you. The video games you're going to play later, the cute guy or girl sitting next to you. The silly putty in your hands, just put it all away and consider this. Okay, we'll get to our verse. One last thing, okay? Just setting us up. One last thing. 
We have to understand when we come to this, the importance to God of the difference between obedience and disobedience. We have to understand that obedience means life and disobedience means death in all cases. Obedience means life, disobedience means death. I could take you back to the Garden of Eden. I can't actually, but hypothetically, we could go back to the Garden of Eden or in God's word we could go and we could hear God say to Adam, if you eat of this tree, if you disobey me, you will surely die. And so bound up in Adam's choices, if he disobeys, he's going to die, but if he obeys, he will live. Obedience is life, disobedience is death. Or for a more family-like passage, since that's our subject tonight, we could fast forward to Exodus 20 when God gives the law to his people and we could read there, honor your father and mother so that, does anyone know the end of it? Yes, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That is, honor your father and mother, honor your authorities, obey so that you can live long. Or if you disobey, the natural consequence would be death. Here's one more that's a little more graphic in case I need to get your attention. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21 says this, and I'm paraphrasing. It says that a child who was repeatedly disobedient, who was, who was a uh, repetitive breaker of their parents' laws and was disrespectful to their parents, had a heart of disrespect to their parents, they were to be taken to the authorities in the city, and then the authorities were to take them outside the city walls, and then people were supposed to cat, throw stones at the kid until the kid was dead. That's in God commanded that. Obedience means life. Disobedience means death. If that rule was still enacted, there would be a lot less of us sitting here, including myself. Obedience means life. Disobedience means death. Now that we have that, let's look at our verse, Proverbs 10.1. Here it is. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father. A wise son makes a glad father. But a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. And we're not even going to look at the second section. All I want is just your concentrated and devoted attention to the first line. A wise son makes a glad father. This is a principle of law. It's like, it's like uh, gravity. It's natural. It's going to happen. When you are obedient to your parents, of course your parents are going to be happy with you, right? When you are uh, respectful or when you are acting as a wise child by being obedient, they're going to be glad. And it says that of the father. When the son is wise, his father is glad. So when you're obedient to your parents, you you will make them glad. But there's more to this verse than just that. Because that part's true, but that's just, that's just the beginning of this proverbial truth. That's just the start of it. That's just to, to say that <clears throat> is just to scratch the surface of this proverb. I was, uh, I was thinking about how to demonstrate this to you. And have any of you ever been to the seashore or the beach? Raise your hands. Yeah. Or even the Kishwaukee River. Yeah. <laughs> There's like clams in the Kishwaukee. That's what I'm talking about. When I go to the beach, sometimes I'll look for these two-sided seashells. This one's kind of pretty. It has like red design on it and it's like patterned and it's a cool color. But I'll look for these two-sided seashells sometimes and every single time that I find one and I open it up, I hope there's a pearl inside and I'll just be filthy rich. Just kidding. But sometimes I do go looking for them. It's kind of fun and uh, they're interesting. But I want you to imagine this proverb like this two-sided seashell. On the outside, it's, it's pretty cool. It's nice. It's got pattern on it. Like I said, it's got a pretty cool red color. It's like maroon. And that's to say on the outside of this seashell, it might say, obey your parents for this is right. And it is. And this is a nice seashell. Does anyone want it? Okay. 
with a silly putty down, I'll give it to you. But, at the end, but if I were to open it up, and my hope is always that there's a pearl in there. And for this proverb, this is true. I can take this seashell and on the outside it says, obey your parents for this is right. And that's fine and dandy and it's good and that's God's law, that's God's word. But if you open this proverb up, there's a lot more to it actually. A wise son makes a glad father. What more could there be to that? I'll show you. We'll look at, we'll look at two characters in this proverb that we might not have seen yet. First, a wise son. Well, can anyone tell me one character trait of the son in this proverb? Charles? Wise. He's wise. Okay. Where'd you come up with that? That's, that's good. He's a wise son. He's our first character. He's a wise son. He's gotten wisdom. He fears God. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So he's gotten wisdom. He fears God. He walks in his commandments. He's obedient, specifically to his parents. He knows his father's will and he does it. His actions are always marked by obedience. That's the wise son. That's the picture of the wise son. And because I want to show you this pearl and I want you to see it as soon as possible, I'm not going to hide from you the fact that I'm talking about the son of God. I'm talking about Jesus when I say that. He is the wise son. The Bible says that he was perfectly, perfectly, absolutely, continually, and constantly obedient to his father's will, to God's will, to God's law. The Bible says that he was so much obedient that he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. See, Jesus is the king of glory and the king of nature and the king of creation and the king of everything. Everything was created through him and for him and by him. And he's sitting in eternal glory. And what he decides to do in order to be obedient to his father is take off his eternal glory and, and take on the form of a servant and come down to earth. It says he took on human flesh. Not only did he take on the form of a servant, the king becomes a servant, but he also took on human flesh. He became what, what the creation was, human And we can't even take out the trash. Just saying. It says also that, and this is, this is more amazing. It says also that he was literally obedient to the point of death. Jesus Christ was literally obedient to his father so much so that he was obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross, it says. That is a gory, painful death. And he was that much obedient. His will was set aside that much that he would obey his father's will. And if you don't believe me, by just looking at a snapshot of Jesus's coming down to earth, living a perfect life, dying, and then being risen again as an excellent evidence of his obedience to his father perfectly and constantly, then hear him in the garden of Gethsemane, right before he's about to be crucified, at the climax of emotions and feelings for him as he is going to the cross for something that he didn't do, and he knows where he's headed. He knows he's going to be crucified, and there's going to be excruciating human pain in him because he was truly human. He knows all of this, and he's sweating drops of blood and praying to his father, and he cries out in just this anguished tone, Abba, Father. He's calling out to his father, all things are possible for you. He recognizes, God, you can do anything. Remove this cup from me. Please, he's pleading with God. Yet, not what I will but what you will. That's the heart of obedience. And that's the heartbeat of Jesus. Yet not what I will, but what you will. He's submitting himself to his father's will in absolute and perfect obedience. And I've heard people before, we could speculate about 
Jesus's obedience to his earthly parents. Like when Mary said, go wash the dishes, did he wash the dishes? Well, yes, if there were dishes to wash, yes. Or when he's learning carpentry from Joseph, did he go get the nails for him when he asked to? Yes, he would have. But that's not the point. Every single human expectation absolutely pales and vanishes before God's divine expectations. Because what God says is, be holy. He says, be holy as I am holy. Jesus says, I am. And he was. God says, be perfect. Absolutely, flawlessly perfect in moral character as I am. And Jesus says, I was. I am. And so, when we're looking at Jesus being obedient and looking at Jesus being the wise son, you're like, okay, I get it. Jesus was obedient. I'm glad you believe me now. Now, here's where it applies to us, to me, and to you. Here's the beauty of this truth. And like I said, if there was a pearl inside here, here's the first glimpse you get to see of this pearl. Paul says in the Bible, God says through Paul, for as by one man's disobedience, that means because Adam sinned, Many were made sinners. Because Adam sinned, we're all sitting here as sinners. So, by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That means that if you accept Jesus by faith, that the the foundation, the the source of you being right before God is Jesus' obedience. It's Jesus' goodness, his righteousness. It's because when God said, be perfect as I am perfect, Jesus said, I am. That's the source, foundation of your hope of standing right before God. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. That's an awesome thing. That's amazing. As I was reading that, I just was thinking about the grace of God. And then I got to thinking a little bit more. And do you all know the story of the prodigal son? Yeah. And he said, he's in the pigsty and he says, Maybe if I go and ask my father for forgiveness, at least he'll take me as a servant in his house. At least he'll forgive what I've done and he'll take me as a servant in his house. Okay, so us in our pigsty, we come to God and we think maybe perhaps God will take me. Just, I just want to live. I just don't want to die. I just don't want to eat pig food for the rest of my life. But just like in the story of the prodigal son, we're not just forgiven. We're also made sons. That king that we, that we broke his law, we're not just forgiven by him, we're also brought into his royal house and sat at his table for a, a feast. So here's another look at the pearl inside, my, inside the seashell here. It says in Galatians 4, 4, God sent forth his son. God sent forth Jesus. God sent Jesus, born of a woman. That means he was human, born under the law, just like you and I are, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. He sent him forth to redeem those who were under the law. You and me. For what purpose? Paul, Paul says, so that. That means, in order that, we might receive adoption as sons. God sent Jesus so that anyone who believes in him by faith might receive adoption as sons and be brought into the household of God. That's even more beautiful than just being forgiven. Not only have we just been forgiven which is enough in itself to worship God for eternity. We can also be made sons and or daughters, children of God. And uh, remember in all of this, we're talking about the wise son. It's 
that foundation of Jesus's obedience in his life and death. It's perfect obedience in Jesus's life and death that makes it possible not only to be forgiven, but also brought into the kingdom of God and made a son. And that was costly. Remember the verse that I read you about how Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross? That's, that means that he died the most excruciating death. Or those tears of blood or sweat drops of blood. That's anguish. It was bought at a costly price. Jesus' obedience isn't cheap just to be thrown out. Not all of us can stand before God and claim Jesus' obedience. Only those who've had faith in Jesus. So we mustn't come before God flippantly, but come before him claiming Jesus' obedience and that alone and recognizing the cost of it. So who's the second character in Proverbs 10.1? Glad father. Charles, can you tell me one thing about the father? He's glad. The father's glad. Thanks, Charles. The second character we have is a glad father. He's rejoicing. He's delighting. It's, it's just happiness that's exuding from him. Does anyone remember the first time we saw JT come back with little Eden in his arms? Just beaming from ear to ear? Yes. There's something about being a father that makes one glad. I don't know it yet. I hope to someday, but I've seen it in JT. I've seen it in other men. Fathers are glad over their children. But there's something extra to this father's gladness. There's something added on to it. Because what makes the father glad? Charles, you got me? What kind of son? His wise son, Jesus. What makes the father glad is his wise son. The father, he's delighting. He's rejoicing in his obedient son. And God the father in the same way delights in Jesus Christ. All right, man. What evidence do you have of this? Get ready. Here's evidence from God's son about how God feels about him. Jesus said, I made known to them, Jesus saying, I made known to them, the people, your name, Father, and I will continue to make it known to them so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. The same love with which we are loved is the same love which the Father loved the Son with. That's something to rejoice about. The same delight and the same love with which the Father looked on the Son is the same love with which he looks on Jesus' people, the people who look to him by faith. Or when God brought Jesus into the world, do you know what he said? He said, let all God's angels worship him. These powerful, winged, bright, shining creatures are eclipsed by Jesus' glory. Why? Because, the Father, because he's so glorious and because the Father's so delighted in him that they're commanded to bow down before him. That's how delighted the Father is in the Son. That's how much the Father is glad in the Son. That's how much he rejoices in the Son. Or another one, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. John 3.35 This love that the Father has for the Son moves him to give everything in creation under the feet of Jesus, to give it into his hand, to put him over it, to make him the master of everything. And then lastly, I want to go back to the verse that I said a minute ago. We see in Jesus' obedience, the Father so delights in him that again, he sets him above all things. And, I, and it's in that verse, which I read you earlier. Do you remember when I said he was obedient to the point of death? Even death on a cross, 
Let me finish the verse. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means all of creation, all of nature, all the, all the trees, all the stars, all the planets, all the animals, all of the children of God and all the enemies of God will someday bow before Jesus and say, Jesus, Jesus, you are Lord. Not all equally, of course. Why do they say that? Because he is Lord. And because God the Father so much, so much delighted in his son that he decided to put everything under his control. Probably when you show responsibility at home, your parents will end up putting maybe more under your control or letting you have a little more freedom. In much more of a way, God the Father is so much delighted in his son Jesus because of his perfect obedience that he sets everything under the control of Jesus. So, okay, again, what does this mean for us? Believer, believer, why should we obey our parents? Bringing this full circle back to the family now to our earthly families. Why should we obey our parents? Do you know there's two different places that the Bible commands us this in the the New Testament specifically that sound almost identical but are slightly different? The first is this. Children, obey your parents for... Does anyone know it? This is right. This is right. This is good, right? You should do this. Look, this is God's world. He created it this way. You need to obey your parents because that's how he made it. For this is right. But then in another place, it says, children, obey your parents for... This pleases the Lord. And so if you are a believer, if you know Jesus, if you are, if you are his by faith and if he is yours by faith, then our, our effort in obeying our parents and the motive behind us obeying our parents is delighting in the Lord. And another believer, I was thinking about this myself. How do you imagine that you will obey your heavenly father in heavenly things if you cannot even obey your earthly parents and earthly, trivial, small things. If I can't take out the garbage, how am I to come here and, when my parents ask me to? How am I to come here and preach? Or we have all been called to evangelism. Believer, you've been called to evangelism. God's commanded you to that. He's told you to do that. Your Heavenly Father, that's, get, that's you getting to proclaim the gospel. That's a heavenly thing. That's a weighty thing. That's a heavy thing, but it's an awesome thing. And we've all been called to read God's word, to study God's word. That is a, that's literally God's breath to us and his words to us. That's a weighty and also an awesome calling. Um, we've all been called to contend in prayer. So how are we going to do these heavenly things? How are we going to wrestle in prayer, proclaim the gospel to the lost? And how are we going to read and study God's word if we can't even obey our earthly parents in the smallest of things? Just think about that. Next time you're asked to do the dishes or take out the trash or clean your room or something or simply have an attitude of respect to our parents. And then this last of all, believer, if Jesus is yours by faith, if he's yours by faith, then God delights in you. Do you know why? Because if Jesus is yours by faith then everything that is his is also yours and when God looks on you then, he doesn't just see Johnny. I don't know anyone named Johnny over here. Just saying. He doesn't just see Jane. No, he looks down 
And if you've received him by faith, and only if you've received him by faith, not for anyone who is not, this is not true for you, but only for those who have received him by faith, then he looks down on you and he delights in you because he sees every single moment of every single day, your features, your, your person being transformed more and more to look like his son. Or he sees, he looks down at you and he sees his son's robes on your back. He sees Jesus's righteousness on you. That's why God delights in you. So that's something to rejoice in. We can rejoice and delight in the Lord because he delights in us. Because we've received the benefits of his wise son, of his good son. Proverbs 10.1, a wise son. Okay, so question. And you can answer this with a head nod. Are all of us sons and daughters of God? There's a lot of wrong answers out there. Think about this again. No. No. By no means. I'm being dead serious. Listen, not all of us are sons and daughters of God. Not all of us are children of God. Probably less of us than you would imagine. And the difference between the children of God and the enemies of God, because if you're not a child of God, then you are an enemy of God. If you're not a child of God, you necessarily are an enemy of God. The difference between us is that some of us know the wise son of God and others of us do not. That doesn't mean, yeah, I read my Bible every day. I know all about Jesus. No, it's not just about knowledge. It's about trusting in that wise son. It's about knowing more intimately that wise son. And it is the difference between a child of God and a child of the devil, an enemy of God, is faith in the son of God, trusting him, your sins being laid on Jesus and Jesus' goodness and righteousness being laid on you. And I'm as sure that the sun will rise tomorrow as I am that my sins have been laid on Jesus and that his goodness has been laid on me. That's how I can stand before God. That's faith. But then also repentance. I read this beautiful verse this week and I want you all to hear it. To any of you who are living as enemies of God, as, as children of the devil rather than the children of God, Listen to this verse. The Bible says this, repent therefore and turn back. What that means is you're headed like headlong into your sins and it says repent therefore and turn back. Do a pivot. That your sins may be blotted out and the times of refreshing may come. That's what it says. That your sins may be blotted out and the times of refreshing may come. So the sins which stand before God the sins which you know that you've committed and that you would not tell to anyone and that they stand before God. He sees them. But he says by repentance and by faith that your sins can be blotted out, completely blotted out. And also that times of refreshing may come. Some of you are weary because you've been trying so long to just get your act together. You're weary because you've tried for so long this I'm going to make a better habit instead of I'm going to run into the arms of Jesus. That's why you're weary. Jesus says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, gone, wiped off forever. And that times of refreshing may come. So, non-believer, you are not a child of God. You are neither a son or a daughter of God. You're an enemy of God. Repent and 
Have faith in Jesus. Trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And I, I beg of you to do that. So, if you have not done that, then no, God's not glad with you. God does not delight in you. Because when he looks at you, he doesn't see his son's robes. He sees filthy, beggarly clothes. And he doesn't see your features looking like Jesus. He sees a nasty, distorted face that looks nothing like God. There's no familial connection. But remember the verse that I said earlier about the one man's obedience and the one man's disobedience? I said, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. By the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And that is a promise of God. Just as surely as Adam's sin condemns all of us and our own sins condemn us to hell, Jesus's obedience, what I've been talking about, the wise son, that's why I talked about it for so long because it's so important. Jesus's obedience will make many righteous when it's received in faith and repentance. So, I'll leave you with this last verse. It's from 1 John. And here's the application. God says, obey your parents. Look on the wise son of God. Receive his obedience, rather. And let your heart be changed by that. And if you've lied to your parents, if you've been deceitful with them, that includes not just lying to them with your words, but looking at things or doing things that they have told you not to do and that you know you shouldn't do. You do things behind their back. That's deceptive. Lying, that's not obeying your parents. Then confess your sins. Confess them in the open. Repent of your sins. Or another, if you've spoken badly of your parents, that's like slander, what we talked about a couple weeks ago. If you've spoken badly of your parents to your, your friends, your siblings maybe, first of all, no one thinks you're cool. Second of all, confess your sins because God will willingly and readily forgive you of your sins. And another, if you're just a disobedient child, this is toddler Colin. If you're just a disobedient child, just a rotten brat, and you know that, and God has convicted you of that. He convicted my little heart of that. If you know that, then repent of your sin. Because remember, you deserve death. With disobedience comes death. But with obedience comes life. So, so by faith, take hold of Jesus' obedience and be forgiven. Let your sins be blotted out. And let times of refreshing come on you. Here's the verse I talked about. First John says this. If we say, search your hearts when I say this. If we say that we have no sin, you and I, if we say there's no sin in us, then we deceive ourselves. If you say there's no sin in us, then we're lying to ourselves and the truth is not in us. So don't walk away from here imagining that there's no sin in you. But if we confess our sins, that's like that verse I said, repent therefore and turn back. If we confess our sins, then he is faithful. Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You can be forgiven and cleansed in Jesus by the confession of your sins and faith in God's son, God's wise son. And the father will look on you with gladness. A wise son makes a glad father, Proverbs 10.1. Walk away with that. Cling to the wise son of God by faith and obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. Let's pray.